I began to read Romans 1, and I didn't question whether it meant what it said. I, I believe that's what it said. As soon as you read the word for what it is, without any strings attached, without any question about, oh, I want it to say this, when you really surrender to God and say, what does that really say? The Holy Spirit does His job and convicts us. I began to be convicted of this lifestyle. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Parents, today's Candid Conversations podcast is not suitable for younger audiences. Please listen to this episode without little ears around. You may choose to share portions of this interview with your children, but please listen to it first. Today we're going to talk about a topic that is difficult to address because it is very personal. Therefore, we decided to approach it personally, interviewing someone who has first-hand experience and a powerful testimony. Today we will have a biblically-based but personal discussion on homosexuality. Today, I want to introduce you to Dee Barnes. Dee is the founder of His Wonderful Works, a ministry dedicated to bringing hope, healing, and freedom to the body of Christ in the areas of family, relationships, and sexuality. And we are so grateful she has come to share her heart and biblical insights with us. Welcome to the podcast, Dee. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be with you. For listeners who don't know who you are, help us understand where you're coming from because, you know, we're talking about worldview, biblical worldview. Where did you start to develop that? You know, were you raised in a Christian home? Um, What were sort of the steps walking that out? Sure, I'll try to say that shortly for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, no, So take your time. my family was a you know traditional Christian home, but we didn't really know God, didn't follow after the Lord. I certainly wasn't born again and understood what the true gospel meant in that respect. But I did honor God and believed in Jesus for sure, and went through my life um, just having a really good home. And but my attractions changed and went from not understanding anything to realizing that, wow, I have this sexual orientation towards same sex. And leading up to that was a lot of childhood issues. I was very much a tomboy, very disconnected from what it meant to be girl, the girl things, which in today's world might be, oh, you're probably transgender, you know, and that wasn't a thought back then to me. But if it had been now, I think I would have been thinking those things because those thoughts would have been planted that I was transgender because I definitely loved to dress like a boy because and it was indicative of what was going on in the inside of me. I wasn't connected to the things that it meant to be girl. What what was missing, you know, there? And I didn't realize any of that. I was molested at age 14 by a neighbor, an older man, who that really caused a shift in my walk and understanding who I was. It's confusing anyway at, at adolescence. And I went on to be very promiscuous sexually, heterosexually. And then at age 21, I found myself in a homosexual relationship. And that felt so right to me. It was what I had thought I had been missing my whole life. And I really felt like, hey, this is what I was born to be in. And after some years, three or four or five years of of living that lifestyle, realizing that um, I actually didn't think anything was wrong with it at all, even though I believed in Jesus. And I met a girl who had known Jesus, really known him and been born again. And she said, you know, homosexuality is wrong. And I was like, well, I don't feel like that. I'm not convicted that it's wrong. And she was like, it says so in Romans 1. And I began to read Romans 1, and I didn't question whether it meant 
what it said. I, I believe that's what it said. As soon as you read the word for what it is, mm-hmm. without any strings attached, without any question of, oh, I want it to say this, when you really surrender to God and say, what does that really say? The Holy Spirit does his job and convicts us. I began to be convicted of this lifestyle. So I would still go to gay bars, be convicted, go to gay bars, but the Lord was drawing me into that truth. And I was at a place where I wanted to submit to that truth and know what it was. I didn't want it to say something different. Mm. I didn't want to try to force it to say something different. And because of that surrender, I believe the Lord is faithful in showing us the truth. So when when you're thinking, oh, well, I've not been convicted forever and I believe in God, well, have you really truly asked God to change your heart of seeing whatever is really there? And he will not fail to do that. And I think that's what's missing in the culture today. So one day I finally looked at my friend who had known Jesus and she said, have you ever um, had a personal relationship with Jesus? And I said, I don't know. And then she said, well, if you don't know, then you haven't. And that started this passion in me to go, what is she talking about? I have no idea what she's talking about, but something she knows I don't. And in my spirit, I knew that was the truth. I just didn't understand it. That was the beginning of me pursuing God and saying, what are you saying? The more I pursue God, the more my eyes were open to the deprivation of the life I had thought was right. I realized that it was just not, not right, you know, and I began to be more convicted. At that point, I was left with, what do I do now? Okay, I believe it's wrong now. I believe the scripture. I've been born again because I've surrendered my whole life to the Lord, but I don't know what to do with all these attractions because those don't just go away. Your spirit man's born again, but your flesh has all the stuff from sexual abuse. I had an abortion at 19. All of these things that caused psychological issues with me were not addressed. So that began my pursuit of trying to find out, you know, hey, is this real? And I met some people who whose lives had been changed by pursuing Jesus, who were no longer homosexual. So I began to pursue out the people I saw who were really living a life of freedom, I thought, from it. And that's how I learned the path that they took. I began to seek out, you know, what is it that they dealt with? I dealt with a lot of hurts from my childhood and things that, um, like any other psychological issue that you might want to deal with. And God brought me into more and more freedom. The more I pursued him and behold his face, the more he changed me. And that's how my life was changed. So out of that, my passion for helping people understand that what's behind homosexuality, that it's not just a feeling that you have and you're not born that way. You know, I honestly, truly believe a thousand percent you are not born homosexual or transgender. And I know that from my experience, but also from 20 years of working with people that I see being transformed. So, Well, D, as we just talked before, this is such a massive concept, a conversation. Help us understand what we're talking about here. What, what is it? Help us frame that sort of biblical conversation on homosexuality. Well, I think we have to stand back and decide if we are going to be um, holding to the worldview when we start talking about this or believing it, because you have every right to, or anyone has every right to believe something different, right? But what does the biblical worldview say about the LGBT issues of our lives, the attractions that we have that may or may not line up with what we think it should? And I think we have to step back and look at the Bible from start to finish, because really, if you look at it simply, just from maybe a 40,000-foot view and go, okay, from Genesis to Revelation, so many scriptures of you know Genesis 1 saying God created male and female, it's clear. The next thing, it's always about biblical marriage and family and male and female. There's no room in there for mixing it and trying to say that, well, maybe God, you know, there are 33,000 verses in the scripture, 2,600 of them talk about husband, wife, family, children, not one 
affirms homosexuality or transgender and at all. And you would, would you think God forgot out of 33,000 verses to mention the fact that that might be a way we should live. So I think when we step back and look through all of that, and by the end of Revelation, you're looking at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's just clear that God meant male-female family. He created family in Ephesians. You know, it tells you that he, he's the author of family. That's not even mentioned Leviticus and Romans, right? right? We're, um, this is just general, what did God, how did God design male and female? So the important you know, the the starting place for the believer is the Word of God. Absolutely. Right? Yes. So this is our – it's our ultimate authority that tells us God's designs, God's plans, you know, human life, human relationship-wise. It is sort of the thing that's showing us where truth is um, and not sort of leaving us to our own devices. I guess my next question would be where did the confusion come in? We have the authoritative Word of God and and yet in christian community and non-christian community we had this confusion that sort of stepped in where does that come from where is it leading to i do believe that you know as our culture has gone away from the authoritative word of god and you start doubting one piece you can start doubting a lot of pieces and then start doubting the whole thing and maybe god didn't really say that and and you know i don't know all of how we got where we are. But I do know we're definitely a a subjective view about how we ought to live our life now. Yeah. And when our feelings conflict with the Word of God, we just decide to change something rather than ask the question, why are my feelings not lining up with that? Okay, so that's obviously a, a massive conversation. Yeah, really long. Um, but to get to the point, I guess I'm trying to think, you know, identity is so important. And you're talking about the desires that you had mm-hmm. uh that were in some sense, you know, beyond your control. Absolutely so, beyond my control, so, yeah. So in terms of, you know, being born into it or, or developing that, so what's sort of creating that desire for that lifestyle? What's sort of at the mm-hmm. root of that? So first of all, I'd like to say that the homosexual attractions are absolutely not a choice for people. You don't have them, and most people would say, I would choose not to have those, right? right. And so they aren't aren't a choice. You have them, and you don't you can't make them go away right. on your own. You just cannot will that. You can't pray the gay away, as people say. You know that's not a thing. You know the the um, culture would try to say that's what we do, but that is not not a thing. And most of us who walking through ministry in this type would agree that you know that's not what we do, and that's not what the issue is. But you you're abs- essentially have these attractions, whether they're transgender attractions, you know, same sex attraction. Y- you can't help them. So then what do you do? You you can either say like the world says, oh, well, I was born that way because I can't help it. Or maybe I have these attractions. There's a real reason why I have them, right? Maybe they're not normal in a sense the way God created me and I need to find out why. And that's what the path that that I chose to research because I saw people who really had been successful at that. And so when I began to research it and ask the question, what are the commonalities of people who struggle? with same-sex attraction. For girls, it is that disconnect between um, members of the same sex, especially in birth to puberty. All of this homosexual attraction starts from birth to puberty. It's not, or pre-birth to puberty, really. It's not anything after puberty is not developing. It's all happened. All the psychosocial development that we go through happens as we're young children, and that can be certainly through sexual abuse. Eighty percent of the time, there's sexual abuse involved in a lifestyle of homosexuality or transgender, Um, sometimes more some people say that number would be higher. There are people who haven't had any kind of abuse to still have this struggle. But for me, you know, I can speak directly to the fact that I was disconnected from relationships in the women in my life growing up. My mom, for instance, my mom loved me. No question. She had everything to impart to me what it meant to be girl. But 
I had this disconnect there because of um, walling off some things. I had a mom who was very outspoken, very critical, very judgmental. That's who the Southern women in my family were. They were very unemotional and stoic because that's how their moms were. And, and I began to disconnect from that to protect my little self from these things, the words that were spoken, and even though they weren't always all harsh. And in doing that, I didn't have an openness to receive. When you cut off the things that you think are hurtful, you also cut off the good opportunity to receive. And so from the my grandmother, my mom, all of the things that I could have re- received as what it meant to be solid as a girl just didn't happen. So therefore, when that's not there, you're longing for another girl. I was longing for another woman to fill that void is all it was. Just filling the first woman I was in a relationship with. I was just looking for mom, basically. I'm looking for that intimacy, that validation, that affirmation of what it means to be girl. And for a young man, it's the same thing. His masculine um, influence in his life was disconnected. He's just looking for that masculine affirmation as an older one. And it's more way complicated, more complicated than that to be able to say that. But they're root issues, and they're so clear when you start to see them. Yeah. And if you'll look for that instead of you know trying to believe that it's something different, you'll see that wow, there are so many commonalities in every same-sex attracted one. I mean, not there's not a rule of oh, it's mom's fault or it's dad's fault. That's not what we're saying. But there is a truth that there's some deprivations there. And if we see a young child who is seven years old, and we say oh, you know, we knew he was gay or she was gay since they were, you know, look at what's happening in their lives and why they're not able to connect. There's a real reason. A lot of developmental things have to do with it. So it's not really unlike many other psychological issues that yeah. we have. You know. And so how do you, as a counselor, how do you counsel that? Is it sort of historically unpacking uh, all those things that have sort of led up to that moment or where there was some sort of transfer or, or what does that look like? Well, I think we have to first start with you know, our relationship with Jesus and God in the first place, because Jesus came to transform our life. It doesn't matter what transformation it is. We should all be transformed after meeting him. And apart from him, you know, he came to restore our relationship with God, you know, with himself. And apart from that, it's really just trying to walk through some parameters that sometimes work because they're God rules, you know, but sometimes without him and without the Holy Spirit, the reason God transformed, it's really difficult to counsel through something like that. So I have to say that first. You can do some, I think, make some headway, it would be like dealing with my past sexual abuse only, right? right? If I was a sexually abused person, whether heterosexual or homosexual, and say I was sexually you know, abused from you know, for eight years of my life, that story, someone needs help for that, right? We, everyone would say, Let's, we need to go to a psychologist to get some help. We need to figure out what we got to do. We can do that apart from God, and I believe receive some healing. But with the Holy Spirit and with our surrender to the Lord, there's a massive amount of power of healing that Jesus brings to that table. So it's not unlike any other issue. I think the world says that that, that's not true for homosexuality, but it really is. And if we sit down for surrendering to the Lord and asking him to change us in a way that comes after him. And when I say change, that's a difficult word because when you say change today, it means, oh, you're changing from gay to straight. That's not what we're saying. The scripture says when we behold his face, we're transformed from glory to glory. It literally says we're all transformed. If I'm just coming to God because of my sexual abuse and the pain, I'm say these are, this is a story that it could be true or is true with some folks. I'm married heterosexually, but I've had a lifestyle of sexual abuse. It's going to affect my marriage. My marriage, my intimacy with my husband is going to be affected by that sexual abuse or that past abortion if I don't get healing. So it's no different from that. You know, where do I go to get healing so that I can be free? Jesus came so that we could be totally free, not just 
gay or straight, you know, or whatever, free from what hinders us, free from that sexual abuse. So when I sit down to counsel, my first question is, do you know Jesus and have you been born again? Because mm-hmm. it's going to be a long road if we don't, yeah. you know, and, and, and try to bring that understanding for someone, but then also walk through the past of their childhood. What is it that that disconnected there? You know, what is it? And oftentimes it is sexual abuse. And we'll pray through that healing for sexual abuse, if nothing else, not trying to get to a straight, get somebody to turn straight. We're just trying to get you to be healed of all those things. And miraculously, what happens after that is that, wow, all of a sudden my sexual attractions are lining up with what God said. How is that? I wasn't trying to make myself straight. I was just trying to pursue Jesus and be healed of my stuff, you know. And I think that's the same for all issues. We just, in this world, have tried to carve out the homosexual issue. Yeah. I want to think, uh, you know, we think historically how the church has responded. What what are some of those things that you have seen, and I'm sure you've seen it in your counseling and even in your own life, the way that the church responded in the past and, and sort of what you're seeing today? Has there been a change in the, the narrative or the, the way we go about things? Yes, I think in the past, there's been some really difficult issues with those who struggled with same-sex attraction, feeling rejected and feeling um, less than in all kinds of ways because I believe the church, really out of its ignorance, did not understand the issues, right? What it did have right was that it was sin, right? right? That our acting out homosexuality. Most of the Christian world or the world altogether would believe that pornography was sin, adultery is sin, you know, acting out sexually with multiple partners is sin, but all of a sudden homosexuality is not. In this world, but right. back in the day, when you're talking about what the church did wrong, it believed that homosexual activity was sin. It had it right. The church had it right. It was the delivery that was quite wrong because nobody understood what was behind it, right? Just, I think the church thought that people just chose to be gay, right? And could choose not to be gay when, in fact, they could choose not to act out, though, and get help, but there was really no help there. You know, when I came to the Lord, I, it wasn't a time where I could come to the church and say, hey, I'm struggling with same sex attraction and I need help. I couldn't say that because there was no talk about homosexuality. So in that way, it was very difficult for people, shameful for people, you know, suicidal for people, you know, to say, okay, I just can't reconcile this. So it's better off. Yeah, I have no hope, no help. And often there was help. You just had to search for it. And God will bring that. I mean, I I couldn't really go anywhere to find the help, but God brought it to me. Mm. And and, and that's been 25 years, you know, 27 years ago. But um, so back to the church. We didn't know how to handle. I think we've done some really things wrong, but now in in going all the way to the other side of the extreme world, where now the church is going, oh, let's just love everybody, let's not, let's have all this compassion, but no truth and no help. So we have a real problem today in the church not knowing what to do again because they don't really know the truth that people are transformed and and their real root issues still in the ignorance. I believe are going. Let's have compassion for everybody. And there is a way to have grace and truth. There is a way to have compassion but still stand in the truth. There's a way for me as a Christian to say, I love you so much, you know, where, where you are in your struggle. I understand it, but I'm also not going to tell you that God created you that way. And I have to say this, I have a family now and I've been married for uh, 25 years and so blessed to have that. And I have three wonderful children, two sons and a daughter who are 24, 21, and 19. That's an absolute miracle that God's given me. I don't deserve anything that God's given me. It would have been enough for God to say, okay, I just saved you and you'll just be alone the rest of your life, right? Because I had an adulterous relationship. I I killed my own child in abortion. I don't deserve anything, but praise God, he doesn't repay us as our sins deserve. He says, okay, follow me and I'll walk after him. So he gave me this this beautiful gift of family. But what I want to say is if you had told me as a pastor or leader that 
OD, you can be gay. You're born that way. Why don't you just pursue your homosexuality? You would have robbed me from the gift of family that God's given me, the joy that I wouldn't trade for anything because you'd have thought you were being nice to me. That's the tragic thing. And we would have left you in your sin. You left me in my sin. And on top of that, that's even, you know, we didn't talk about the penalty of sin and where we're going, but the fact that you, the destiny God had for me was a family. And many churches today are robbing people of that destiny because they're telling them, oh, you should just be homosexual or transgender. You know, churches in our city telling people that they, they're okay to be trans. Go ahead and just cut off your body parts because that's the way you feel. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a definite abuse when you start coming, looking at that kind of thing. And so I think there are a lot of churches that are getting it right. But I think we're coming to a day where we're trying to, we're struggling, and you have a loud cultural voice saying, you know, you're a hater if you don't say that we're born this way, and there's no hope. And, you know, what was originally the gay push to have um, civil rights, so to speak, marriage, and, you know, that that's come to pass. Now they have that right, or they, you know, that whole community has that right. But now it's become, now I want to silence you. Mm-hmm. Now I want to have that right, but I don't want you to give help to anybody. Mm-hmm. And every, there's so many states now passing laws that, you know, you can't even counsel anybody. We can't do what I'm saying for you. Because now not only do I want my rights, I want to shut the rights down of those who want help. Because you have a choice to make. You can go believe what you want to believe. I'm not telling you you can't or, you know, the world listening that you can't. But you should not be able to tell people that they can't pursue help if they want it. Mm-hmm. And that's what our, our challenge is today. And the church is right in the middle of that. Tell us a little bit about your ministry, his wonderful works. How did that get started? How, you know, and what's sort of the trajectory? What's the, get us some understanding on, on what that looks like, because it's it's fascinating thinking about what you're talking about, that there's been this dramatic shift um, politically in our country from sort of individual states voting down gay marriage rights to now this law has now been passed across the entire United States legalizing gay marriage. But like you said, now there's been a transition to silencing voices like yours who are trying to give a biblical worldview um, to people who are struggling with this. And I think even saying the word struggling is probably offensive, right? Even my use of that term is, right. is you know. For some, right, because yeah. they would say, I'm not struggling. Yeah, that's my, yeah. who I am. Right, and if you're not struggling, that's fine, right? It's not fine, you know, in the, in the spiritual world for me, but but it's okay for you to be that way. Just let us, you know, who want to get help, get help, because there are a lot of people who are struggling to reconcile their same-sex attraction or their transgender feelings with biblical worldview because they love God, and, and, and there are many, many LGBT groups who love God. All right, and and want to do that. And, and we'll say, I've prayed for 10 years for God to take that away, and God hasn't taken it away. So for his wonderful works, I spent probably 10 years going through um, discipleship programs to deal with my sexual issues. And so there's a there's a program called uh, Living Waters. It's a 28-week discipleship program um, written by Desert Stream. I, that's the first discipleship program I entered into in my early days of trying to figure out what was going on with me. And it's a discipleship program that's long enough for you to deal with your behavioral things. And it combines psychosocial issues with Scripture and help you define who is God the Father and who is Jesus. That whole process was just life transforming. And it wasn't not so much the program. It was the fact that, that it, it sets in place a, a, a place to be safe and talk about your stuff where you can confess, you know, hey, I did this thing and you know, this happened to me when I was five or eight that was shameful, right? It gives you a safe place to talk about that. And because I was a part of that, I realized 
wow, the church really needs to hear this. The church needs to hear what's going on in a discipleship program such as this. And it's sexuality across the board. It's not just homosexuality. Living Waters is for sexual and relational wholeness, basically for any level, whether that's multiple marriages, multiple sexual partners, whatever it might be. It helps you think in a different way and and walk out this walk with Jesus. And through it is transforming. God just transforms you. So because I saw so much um, success in that, I wanted to bring it to the church. And and that was my heart was to take that information and tell people because the church did not see it. The church wasn't seeing in this little back room of places, uh, this little discipleship programs going on and people's lives are being changed. But the church is not seeing the fact that, wow, there are real root issues for my my addiction to pornography. If you uncover that addiction to pornography, you're really just looking for intimate relationship. And you're, you're meeting it in the wrong way. Same thing with homosexual attraction. I am just looking for that affirmation of, of being girl and what it means to be girl. And I'm looking for it in the wrong way. I'm looking for it in another woman if I'm homosexual and that, that sort of talk. So that spurred me to come out into ministry and, and offer that to church. So we bring testimony saying, we're not only saying this, we have testimony to prove it. And there are thousands across the country um, now rising up in a way that they weren't before, which is a good thing, I think, a response to the uh, culture today that's trying to push, you know, that you're born that way and that nobody can change and silence us. There are a rising number of testimonies now, which people just were living their lives kind of a little quietly, but most people um, and didn't want to say that that's what their past was. So um, that started His Wonderful Works. That's been 10 years of His Wonderful Works going out and speaking in any opportunity we have, such as this, to, to share testimony so that people know that there's hope. And for parents specifically praying for their sons or daughters, there's hope for them. Um, If you tell a parent or a group of parents who are Christians that your child's born that way, there's really no nothing for you to do except figure out how to love them. There's no hope in that for a parent. There's no hope to pray for their children. And if you're teaching parents not to pray for their children, who's praying for them? Because there is prayer involved in God bringing one of some of us to or all of us to himself. Someone's praying for us. So I think the, the result of that is is not praying for your children, which is very scary. You know, if, if someone doesn't pray for their own children because they don't know if a church is teaching them not to do that. So his wonderful works is about helping people open up that conversation like this and hear testimony to back that up. I think there are a lot of Christians who say, I know the word says this. I'm hearing all these other things, but I just don't hear the testimony saying that it's true. And because the testimony voice is not quite as loud as the cultural voice, we don't have right. the platforms, unfortunately, yeah. to say. Well, and even know, if there is a voice, it, it's you're right. There's no platform, but it's also being shouted down mm-hmm. because yeah. it's sort of flies in the face of a narrative that someone wants to control. Yeah. That sort of leads me into the next question. And this is probably a question that a lot of people listening, I think, have in the back of their minds. And, and the question is. How can we engage in a discussion about homosexuality in a way that is helpful rather than destructive? And how do I respond to a loved one, someone that's close to me, who has maybe um, expressed and shared that they are homosexual with me? What, how, mm-hmm. what do I do with that? You know, I, I personally have been in that situation, and it's 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 daunting. You know, you you want to do kind of what you're talking about. You don't want to be on one end of the extreme where it's oh, well, I accept you for everything, right. or I'm going to just completely reject you. There's there's some mm-hmm. middle ground in there. So I guess, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are mm-hmm. waiting at the edge of their seat to hear your response to this. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a very good question and one that I think every Christian 
needs to answer because every Christian is going to come face to face with this at some level, whether it's in your family, in your workspace, in your church, somewhere you're going to run into this issue and you're going to need to know how to respond, right? And so the first thing I would say is that we have to have a relationship with someone before we can speak into their lives in an area like this. So it doesn't help to speak into someone's life and say you should the Bible says that this is sin and you shouldn't do that, right? When you have no relationship with them. So I think building relationship is the first order of things. And if someone has come to tell you that they're homosexual, they're probably you probably have that relationship with right, them already right. or they wouldn't have told you. So that's a, a great place to be. But I think first of all we have to have a loving, honest relationship. So if you know someone who is homosexual in your sphere of influence, you need to build relationship with them. That means loving them. That means getting into their world. doesn't mean compromising anything, but it means loving them and, and just being friends with them and not rejecting them on any level. And I would say the same thing with anybody. If it was the your next-door neighbor who was a drug addict, I'm just saying that, so we're not comparing sure. the two, but yeah, yeah. how would you minister to them? You yeah. love on them. You, you tell them your Jesus story when the time's appropriate. Everybody's got a Jesus story. It might not be a homosexual one, but it's a Jesus story. If you've been born again, you have one. And about telling that story about what Jesus has done in your life, because until we meet Jesus, most nothing's going to change anyway, right? Our, our gospel goal is that people know Jesus and know that he came to save us and not just the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom, which means we are repenting and we are born again, that transformation. And that really is, is the heart of our issue with dealing with homosexuality. Treat it like anything else. I treat it like any other issue. I'm just going to love on you until you meet Jesus, you know, and if you want to talk about it with me, then we will. And wait till that person opens up the door when they tell you they're homosexual and you can have that frank conversation and say, you know, I know ministries that, you know, be good to look into it. You know, you don't have to believe it, but it's really there. I think our responsibility as a Christian is to let people know that those ministries are there, that those testimonies are there so they can make an educated decision, right? You can choose not to believe it, but if you don't know it's there, then then you might not be making a very, the very good good decision and letting people know about programs like Living Waters, like the resources that are there, the healing prayer resources that are there for those struggling, because there will be people who want help. And they might not want it the day you're talking to them, but there'll be a day when they're face-to-face with the misery and the in your heart, you know it's not right. When you lay down at night to go to sleep, you know your homosexuality is not in alignment. And so we're here for that hope for people to do that. And I think that as Christians, we need to understand so that we can talk properly. But um, my sister's homosexual. She's been in a relationship for 20 years with another woman. I love them. I, you know, I go see them. My kids go over to their house. They come to my house. Now I set boundaries. You know, you're not going to sleep in the same bedroom when you're in my house because I wouldn't do that with a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's no right. different. Right. I treat you the same. Right. Um, I'm not going to bless your, your, your union and your, your relationship, but I love you. And I'll keep that conversation open. And when she wants to open the door to talk about the issues, we do. And sometimes it gets ugly because we disagree, um, but that's okay. You know, I still love her, and I'll do that until she comes to see Jesus, till her eyes are open to there. And I think that we need to have those frank conversations and have resources that we can share with people, whether they're ministry testimonies, videos. I mean, there's so much out there, you know, we can share. Um, I'm just thinking, so you're talking about for the people that we have that relationship collateral with mm-hmm. what do we do when it's someone that we don't That's have right. that with i think we have to build that relationship collateral <laughs> okay. before we can say anything now if they ask yeah. the question i think we should be honest about it if someone comes up to me and says you know what do you think about homosexuality you know i'm gay well i'll say the what i think in in loving compassionate way but if we don't have that relationship i'm not just going to walk up to a gay couple and say hey you know <laughs> you know what god says you know i had a long term relationship with someone that i do business with for years 
And I never even said anything about my ministry. If it doesn't open up, I don't say, hey, I do this. And we had, I met with him, you know, often, often, and once a month or so. Never said anything about the ministry. Never pushed, you know, Christianity. He'd say, where are you going to speak today? I'd tell him, but I, he didn't ask me what it was about. So I didn't say anything. And finally, after, you know, 10 years, he starts opening up to talk about something and about the church. And he said, you know, my sister's a lesbian, you know, and he's just talking to me all about it. And I was like, really? I said, you know, that's what I speak on. And he was like, are you kidding me? So when I started telling about it, because for 10 years I had just had a relationship with him, he was so open to receive what I had to say. I didn't push it on him. I just said that, you know, and I, I sometimes it's longer than others. Sometimes it's not. But it took a long time building a relationship with him. He said, I'm going to give this to my sister. I mean, and that was just so cool that he would take that because he knew I wasn't, you know, I loved him. I had been rela- relating with him for a long time. And so I think it takes a long time to do that. And yeah. uh, he and, knew you were trustworthy. Yeah. And I think when people know that we love them, we're not just saying that because we think they're doing something bad. Um because I think we got to remember that behind the homosexual struggle is a real hurtful thing. You know, to be rejected for being homosexual or transgender is very hurtful and very hard. But I think that, you know, not telling the truth is is worse. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's a good point. So in my experience is people who I don't know well and they hear that I'm a Christian. Okay. They, they'll come up to me and ask me what I think about okay. their lifestyle. Right. And and so, you know, and here's where the mm-hmm. – and you and I have talked about this. Here's where the language and, yes. and definition of terms comes into play um, because I think there's a, a preconceived – you know, they're probably on both parts. There's pre- preconceived ideas of what they think of me mm-hmm. and what I think of them. Um, and, and so I think um, in my conversations with you, it sounds like there, there needs to be kind of a – um, a clarity in that conversation, and and often it's a resetting of those terms for someone who's in that lifestyle from the Christian perspective. Because I think a lot of times they think you're a Christian, you know, you think I'm going to go to hell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to kind of shift the conversation. And and from our conversation just now, I think your point would be get the topic and the conversation back to Christ in, in right. some capacity in there. So what sort of, you know, in terms of the language and the terminology, mm-hmm. what, what are some of those things that can help us um, think more clearly, speak more clearly? That's a good question and, and might quite be a long one because you're right. The language is there's a disconnect between what the world has to say about certain things. For instance, we mentioned before reparative therapy or conversion therapy or pray the gay away or, you know, being transformed means just going from gay to straight. You know, those are things that are, um, you know, misidentified, I think, and, and labels put on things. So I do think we have to step back. For instance, the statement, you know, do you think I'm going to hell? Well, being homosexual is not sending you to hell, first of all, right? Um, my lack of relationship with Jesus as my Savior and, and forgiving and repenting, that's going to that's be our issue. So I think we got to make that clear. And, you know, once we make that clarity, it's the question, did God say I could live homosexually and did he make me that way? Right. That's a long conversation, right, and not an easy one. But I think we have to understand that enough to know what we believe and, and say it in that way. You know, I do believe this now. You don't have to believe what I'm saying, you know, and I'm not saying it in a harmful way, but I do believe that God has said this is not the way he's created us to live. And I know that because of scripture, but I also know it because of the testimonies and the stories I've heard of people's lives being changed. I have an advantage because I have a story that is the same. So you can argue with me all day long, but you can't argue with my testimony, right? You can say you don't believe me and that's okay. So it's, I know it's much different for Christians who don't have that, but I think it would, um, is good to 
to look at those stories and read them yeah. and understand them and for yeah. churches to help their people be equipped with with that um there's so much uh resources out there to help you um as Christians, as churches, to understand how to respond. Um, and I think, you know, in a minimum, you can refer them to ministries that can help, right? Mm. Or at least, hey, go take a look at this ministry and see what you think. You might yeah. not agree with it, but at least take a look so you can make an educated decision that, oh, this isn't right, right? And I think all of us as Christians can, you know, have in our resources, I think, yeah. you know, things that can help people. We had a question come in um to our show, and um, it's it's right in this uh, area that we're talking about. And the, and the question is, how do parents address the LGBT agenda mm. that's being promoted by uh, the radio and even now in some of the elementary schools by teachers? Mm-hmm. Um, parents are having to discuss these things with their children at a much younger age now. Uh, it's hard when you're teaching your children one thing and society is saying something mm-hmm. completely different. Yes. And absolutely, it is a scary thing to have, you know, a young child right now in the culture because of the push to change the minds, this subtle push in on TV. You know, every TV show has a gay character portraying it as wonderful. And it's interesting, you know, on the show, everybody's life looks wonderful. In real life, that's not true, right? But it looks like the gay life is so wonderful, you know, or, or the trans life. And it just is subtly in every me- every media area, even on cartoons. So you have to, you know, watch what your kids are watching because it's this subtle um, normality that, that is being portrayed in the culture and everywhere so that everybody just thinks it's normal at that point. And I think it's absolutely critical that we talk to our children age appropriately about sexuality, about what's happening in the culture, because before they hear it at school, because they're going to hear it there and it's going to be hard to, and I don't care what age you are, you know, and now you have the issue of um, the transgender issues happening in young grade school. And, you know, and parents being, and there's a whole nother issue, but psychology telling parents of an eight-year-old, hey, your child has all the markers of transgender that has absolutely no scientific backup at all. And parents believing it because they don't have any other choice because what they get told as a parent is your child's going to commit suicide if you don't let them change. Well, what parent wouldn't do that, right? And they're believing that the psychologists today are right in saying that. And it's left to be seen what's going to happen after the the cross-sex hormones are given, puberty blockers are given. Nobody has any idea what is going to happen in 20 years from now in the people that have taken those because there's no study on it at all. So that whole thing is, is quite scary. But I think that we we have to absolutely talk to our kids age appropriately about sexuality and what we can about male and female, as simple as that, and, and helping them understand that there are reasons why somebody, you should have compassion on the person in your class who has a transgender issue. Um, and love them, but understand that there's a real emotional hurt there. Same thing with same-sex attraction in middle school. Your your kids need to know that not to make fun of people who are same-sex attracted and not to um, have to, I guess, believe that they're born that way. And I think the way to teach, oh, well, at least I taught my kids, was that there's real reasons why they're, and I try to explain those reasons to my kids, why they have you know, effeminate attractions if it's a young boy. Why is, why is he missing that masculine affirmation that he needed? I try to explain that to him. And when I can't, my kids, it, it makes more sense to them. It's like, oh, wow, that makes sense. Okay, I don't have to reject them. I can love them. But I also don't have to tell them that they're born that way, you know, and when the conversation comes. So I think in culture now we have such a, a vast problem because the ideas that are entered in people's heads that were never there in middle school. The trans idea or the homosexual idea. And now we have a culture just trying homosexuality because it's something to be tried. It's a it's a sexual 
um, free-for-all all all over. So now your population of people dealing with trans and, you know, that percentage of young girls who are now identifying as trans is like 3,000% from two years ago. It's crazy. That's only because of people entertaining something that is not even, you know, a truth. And same thing with same-sex attraction. People entertaining things that would have never happened in their life before are happening now because somebody's telling them, hey, you might be gay at eight. Looking on the internet, and that's a whole other. Now we're opening up the world of social media right. that never happened. So it's propelling this this disinformation. Yeah, and that's become uh, a political battle. Mm. I mean, it's it's being fought out mm-hmm. uh, in the halls of government even now. Um, why is it such a, a, a heated issue, even in that political government sphere? This issue of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, from a spiritual standpoint, there is a, an enemy of our soul. You know, there's a demonic realm. There is a devil. There is a God who created humanity. He created male and female as an image of himself. He created moms and dads to have family in a healthy way. There's a beautiful picture of Christ in the church in this intimacy with marriage. So, you know, the scripture says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And in Ephesians, it says, but this is a great mystery. I'm talking about Christ in the church. So this beautiful picture of Christ in the church that God created, there's an enemy seeking out to destroy it. And he's always been seeking to destroy our sexual identity. And if he can destroy the union between husband and wife, he's attempting to destroy this picture of Christ in the church. If he can destroy a young child's sexuality by sexual abuse, perversion, sexual slavery, all of these things that are happening to our lives. And then through pornography, you know, in the advent of Internet, it just exploded, you know, and pedophiles, you know, before the Internet had no way to connect with each other. It's not like there was a group hanging out now. It's just exploded, and the whole um, you know sex trade and all kinds of things just exploded because of um, the enemy using what God intended for good, which he's always done. And I think now the transgender movement's the same thing. The enemy is just capitalizing and moving in an alarming rate when you step behind. If you pull the curtains back, you know, the push behind this is a demonic realm pushing it because there's no way that a country could go from believing in heterosexual marriage to an entire country changing its mind in a span of such a short period of time. How does that happen? Mm. Only if there was any kind of power behind it, because it's not the number of people. Every state that changed the law for, for marriage was all a judicial. Not a, The people did not vote that. Every single state until it was just overwhelming um, in the entire federal government that did made that shift. But the majority of people did not believe that. So how does that happen? You know, How does there get that much force behind it? I think it is a spiritual thing. Now we can step from the next step after that and go, you know, how is it getting there? And then it's also people who have left the Word of God, right, in government, who have no fear of God, really, who have twisted and changed the Word of God. And that's that's what, um, you know, it says in Thessalonians that because they did not believe the truth, God gave them over to strong delusion. And I believe there's a strong delusion in our culture right now that is keeping us from seeing the truth. Um, but God... Praise God, he's greater. You know, Jesus is greater. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than any of that. And if we, any one of us, will stop and ask God to open our eyes, our eyes will be opened. And I think the eyes where our eyes are blinded, I think that's, um, we can stay blinded or we can ask God, show me, you know, what's truth. You know, again, as we said at the beginning, this is a massive uh, topic and issue. It can even feel a little bit sort of like the walls are closing in on us uh, with this, just even the way you're talking about mm. the, the explosion of, of yeah. all these uh, things. It's very the overwhelming. It yeah. is. It's overwhelming. So for us, you know, what are the – you've given us a few sort of quivers uh, mm-hmm. to use. What are some sort of perspectival 
um, things that we can kind of walk away with from this conversation that people can sort of think still have that uh, encouragement? Well, I, I feel like it's funny. The culture is almost like it was, well, maybe it is in in the book of Acts when they were preaching the gospel. There were those who wanted to hear it and, and came and were believers. There are those who threw stones and tried to kill everybody, right? It's the same thing happening right now in this world, especially when it is talking about sexuality and the LGBT issues. There are those who long to hear the truth. And I think we need to keep preaching that truth because in the end, that's what we need to do because we need to give hope to people. But there are those who are going to hate it, who hate me, who hate this because I stand for something different. And they're always going to be those and they're going to throw stones and, you know, whatever that happens to be. Um, and, and right now we're in a world of laws and legal battles that may or may not allow me to continue to say, you know, what I'm saying legally. But nevertheless, the, you know, the gospel, the kingdom still gets preached. And I think as Christians... We need to do that very same thing and and preach the truth when we have opportunity to do it. And each one has a different sphere of influence, right? I mean, you may be a you know stay at home mom that goes, okay, well, what can I do, right? Well, I can teach my kids this understanding. We can talk about that issue. And you know, something that we didn't hit on, I think, is the church has historically not dealt with their own sexual sin, heterosexual or otherwise. And I think even Christians haven't dealt with their own sins. So it makes it hard to talk to your kids about sexuality when you won't talk about your own and you've never repented for your past adultery or your past whatever, or you have your hidden pornography addictions and things like that. Because the church has not been real about their own sexual issues, it's caused a lot of problems dealing with this homosexual issue as well. So we tend just not to say anything because we don't want to deal with our stuff, so we don't say anything to anybody. So I think that we've got to first repent of our own sin. As Christians, um, if we've slept with our husbands before we got married to them or, or wives, we need to be repenting. We might be married now, but we best repent for what we did because we, we stole something from each other by sleeping together before we were married. And now that we think we're Christian and married, everything's all good. Well, you know, there's there's direct correlation between lack of trusting in relationship and sleeping together before you're married. Those are just basic biblical things that we're not talking about. So I think that we need to talk about that individually. We need to deal with our things. We need to, you know, the church needs to talk about sexuality openly, heterosexual, homosexual, across the board, so that we can get ourselves where we need to be um, and cry out to God for, for that help. Um, I think we, we need to be sure that we're not judging those who are struggling with homosexuality as, as you know, how we're going to respond. You know, the culture might think we're judging when we say anything. So there's a whole nother word. Like, you know, if I say that, you know, I don't believe that you should be acting homosexually, it's a judging thing. Well, that's not really the the words we're talking about here. I think um, we need to love and speak the truth and find ways where we can help people. We, we need to spend the time as Christians understanding uh, homosexuality and transgender and so that we can love in that way. And, and God will give us what we need in relationship with people. And if we don't know it, we go get introduce them to somebody, you know, now you know about his wonderful works, at least introduce them to the website or, or you, you give a call, do something, you know, where you can do that. Churches need to be talking about that. Um, it's really hard to say, you know, what five things can I have in my pocket, you know, to deal with this. I think it still boils down to the gospel of the kingdom, you know, and finding, um, you know, resources that can help us to help those who, who want help because, you know, quite often you're going to run into people who don't want help at all. And that's okay. You know, I still need to love them and speak that truth. But um, it goes back to that same thing again. The culture needs to allow, you know, us to be able to speak that truth too. And that's not always the case. And it may not be. It may end up that we can't, you know, except under, you know, some quiet way to say it without getting in trouble. I don't know that to be the case, but um, who knows? We're still going to preach that and, and, and offer help to people that, that want help. Well, a massive issue, a huge topic, 
Uh, Dee, thank you for coming and bringing some clarity to this conversation. Uh, Dee Barnes, uh, founder of His Wonderful Works, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. God bless your day. Thanks. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit ltw.org candid to connect with these pages, share your questions with me, and get this week's free download. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.